Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical Podcast. No, we won't be overthrowing any governments, but we will be learning from radical creatives who rule the world. Welcome back, all you radicals. We're inching toward the close of summer 2020, and I have a sneaking suspicion no one will miss it. On today's show, it's a bit of a departure from our music focus, and my guest is actor Jonathan Bennett. Not that there won't be a bit of a music twist toward the end of our chat, which has something to do with a singer named Ariana Grande. Jonathan has participated in the spectrum of acting from playing lead roles such as Aaron Samuel in the classic Tina Fey film, Mean Girls, to being Steve Martin's son-in-law in Cheaper by the Dozen 2. He has gone on to act in many other film roles, but has also not been afraid to explore TV alternatives such as Dancing with the Stars, Celebrity Big Brother, and the Food Network as a host. I've known Jonathan for, I think, a couple of decades. So our conversation today is going to cover a lot of ground. Coming right up, my chat with Jonathan Bennett. Hey, Jonathan. How are you today? Hello, Nick Terzo. How are you? Where are you quarantining? Where are you? Uh, I am in Las Vegas, Nevada, and this is where we are quarantining at the moment. Um, We were in L.A. for a while, but then, you know, we... It's so crowded and everything was crazy there. And so we came to Vegas because we had more space and didn't have to be around so many people, which makes us feel way safer. So we were in Vegas. But however, it is uh, the, the, the low this week was 111 and the high was 116. So oh, lovely. Just basically, lovely. yeah, you're like basically in prison. You're like, I'm not leaving my house ever. So if it's not COVID, it's, it's the heat. So it's a good, good reason to stay inside. Well, you guys are uh, rivaling the temperatures and probably that you received from COVID if you were inflicted. So with yeah, 116. Yeah, uh, exactly. So how long are you guys going to be out there? Is it just in, indefinitely until this kind of passes? Yeah, we, we, there's no really end date of when we're going to leave here. So we're going to stay until we think it's time to go back. But who knows? Like, I don't know what's going on with the world, Nikki Turzo. I don't know. Like, maybe we're here forever. Who knows? Will there? I mean, what's the point of living in LA if there's nothing to shoot? Like, you're, here, you're right let about me give that. you a here. Do you have a billion dollars so you can buy a house that's the size of a shoebox? Because, right. like, why not? That's what we keep throwing around the idea is why live in you know LA? I don't with the way Zoom is happening and you know Skype and all the different things. It's all digital now. Like, you don't. I just don't see as an actor and a host. I don't see us ever walking into an audition room again. Do you, Nick? Right. No, I, I think it's it's going to be weird for a while. So right. Why like don't for you at least a come, year. Come to Nashville. Come on. Oh. We're all we're all down here. Come on down. I mean, okay. So it's so funny you say that because my sister is currently driving to Nashville as we speak because my my niece Hannah Hannah Herner lives there. She works for a paper there called the Contributor. She is a writer. And the contributor is like an amazing uh, newspaper kind of like weekly thing that goes out. And people who, I'm going to screw this up saying it, but there's something along the lines of like, I don't know the exact details, but if they're, you know, people that are homeless or want to, are, are, you know, low income or poverty type situations, they can go and sell the contributor and make the money. It's like a, it's like a whole really cool organization to help kind of, you know, put money in some people's pockets that are extremely low income. Oh, that's nice. So it's a neat little, uh, neat little paper, and she writes for it. So um, my sister's going to Nashville right now. So we keep getting pulled to Nashville. I think I'll be in Nashville sooner than you think, Nick. Uh oh. We can open Watch a out. restaurant or something. Well, no, we I don't can't. know if opening open. a restaurant's yeah, the right idea. Yeah, probably the worst but... thing. <laughs> bar we can open would come a before that. To give shots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A bar would something be great. Like that. Yeah. So I've known you forever, it feels like, or half of your life, let's put it that way. No, more than half. Yeah, you have. That's insane. I I have the biggest smile on my face right now talking to you. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. And so we're going to talk. I don't want to go through like a timeline here. You know, it's just just talk. I'm going to jump all over the place. Yeah, yeah, let's talk. Just like your thinking goes, that's how I'll be working. Yeah, so So you'll be... (laughs) 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've known me, you represented me for years. You know how it's, you know, take a bouncy ball in a room and just throw it and see whatever wall it hits. That's the, uh, that's the way you follow my brain. Yes. So we're going to talk, you know, I guess we'll start at the beginning and then we won't ever yeah. stay there for too long. But you were raised in Rossford, Ohio, yes, and mm -hmm. grew up there. A perfect Midwest upbringing. I mean, I mean, Nick, what's so wonderful about talking to you is you are one of the few people that are in my life that knew of my, my late parents, you know, you knew I my did. mom and dad really well, talked to them extensively. Um, but beautiful, yes, beautiful I, people. So. Yes. I grew up in Rossford, Ohio, which was a very small town in right next to Toledo, Ohio. I always say that I am like, I am who Applebee's was made for. Like, that's like, like, like if you want to describe, like, what was it like growing up in your town? Like, we are the reason Applebee's existed. You know, <laughs> like we are that small town, middle America, just, you know, you go, you go to Applebee's or Denny's after the, the football game on Friday night, you know, very Friday night lights ish, you know, Midwest upbringing, great upbringing, small town. Um, but, you know, at the same time, growing up there is a little tricky. Because let's just say that uh, in 1994, when I entered high school, um, needless to say, there were no pride parades. Okay, there was no um, parade <laughs> going down the center of Rossville, Ohio, you know, with people dancing with rainbow flags. Didn't happen there. You could have been that parade. Yeah, I, I kind of was. Like, I was the <laughs> secret pride parade of Rossville, Ohio. They knew, but they didn't know it yet. But who knows? I mean... Can you imagine going back and doing one? That'd be so fantastic. That'd be great. Yeah. So, so did you do, when you were there, did you do, um, did you get involved with like theater even in high yeah. school or yeah? You were oh my full gosh. in, I was a in? full, oh, Nikki, I was a theater nerd. Like I was, I was as glee as glee can be before glee was glee. You know, like I was, if Chris Colfer had a spirit animal, on Glee, I was that spirit animal. I grew up with every musical, every theater production, every play. Like I was not, if I wasn't cast or the lead of it, I was either directing it or in charge of it or like backseat directing it because telling the director everything he did wrong. I'm like, I don't think they should enter from stage right. I really don't, Will. And I would get into big fights with him about how I thought the play should go. It's kind of like, uh, I guess I was like from Waiting for Guffman, like Corky Sinclair. But when, if Corky Sinclair <laughs> grew up in Ohio, that was me. Uh, did was you take any time. formal, did you take any training though? Or did you just kind of go yeah. through the high school theater thing? Or? I went through high school theater and then I went to college and I. Um, Where at? At Otterbine College in, Otterbein. in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, very small liberal arts college. And. It was so funny because I was in, speaking of theater, when I was in a, a junior, we did a play called Blood Brothers and a, a rival high school that was in Cleveland that was also a very good theater school. They did it as well. And so their cast came to see our show. Our cast went to see their show and we became friends with them. And one of the kids in the show was named Tony Gonzalez. He became my best friend. We would, ever since we met, doing the show, we would go every weekend to either Cleveland or Toledo and like make our parents drive us. Or we would basically have, okay, each of our parents are going to drive halfway and they'll do a drop off and a pickup. And then at the end of the weekend, we'll do the same. And so I grew up with him as my bestie and then college happened and we both applied to Otterbein College. He applied to be in musical theater. I applied to be in acting and we both got accepted. And it was so fun because when we were, when we first met, we go, let's go to college and be roommates and be best friends. And we're like, great. And lo and behold, we both got accepted to this crazy program that only accepts seven acting majors and nine musical theater majors a year. And we both got in. And so we went, we moved to college and had my best friend with me, which was amazing. And that's where we studied. Um, I studied, you know, acting, some music, some dance, but mostly acting. And then I think after about a year and a half of it, I was like, yeah, I'm a year and a quarter. I was like, I was laying on the ground, like pretending to be a tree and like <laughs> pretending to drink like fake tea and mime it. And I go, my parents are paying $50,000 a year <laughs> for me to lay on the floor and pretend I have roots that grow into the imaginary floor here. Like I'm a tree. I'm like, can I just take this money and go to New York 
And mm. so I called my parents and told them I wanted to quit college. And most parents would be like, you're crazy. But my parents, I'll tell you what, they always said, I mean, you had conversations with them, but like from the day I was born, they always knew they were like, Jonathan's going to be an actor. Like he's like, that's it. There's not even a question. And so they were supportive when I said, Hey, I want to move to New York and make it in the big city. I want to move to the big apple. And my mom loaded me up in the truck herself with like, I literally showed up to New York city with two suitcases and a dream and like stayed at this, this model house for a while. And I lived there and like use that to like have a place to stay and live for cheap. And while I was doing that, I started auditioning. So that was my training. Like I did it for a year, but it wasn't like, as far as like actual acting training, it wasn't the most extensive in college. Right. So you go off, fortunately, Ruth Ann and David are uber uh-huh. supportive. Yeah. So it's not like the rebel kid. I got to get to New York and, yeah. you know, I'm going to take that town. sow my oats. Mm-hmm. It's I'm yeah. going for it. So. So you get there, you do some modeling. I mean, you have to go and do this stupid auditioning uh, cycle. Um, yep. And how soon until you got like all my children? Wow, I think I think it was maybe about a year. Like I think it was, I think it was a. I want to say it was like a year or so. To be honest, I'm so old that I'm looking back and I'm like, I can't remember the timeline. It was right about about a year. Like I know I wasn't there for too long, but I was there for like six months to a year, probably in that in that zone. I booked my first job on all my children. And I remember the story, which is my favorite. And I know you've heard it, but I want to tell everyone like the casting director, because auditions are just stupid. Like they're just dumb. Like whoever thought of this idea of auditioning is just like, it's just a disaster. You walk in this room and these people are like, okay, we're going to judge everything on what we're going to spend millions of dollars on. We're going to, in, to invest in you and like make this crazy movie or TV show. We're going to base all this on you driving here or getting on a subway, being stuck on a train, late, run in. You're going to come into this room that has no energy and is the coldest person, coldest room in the world. And we're going to have you read these lines against someone who's not the person you're going to be reading against. And then we're going to make a decision if you should be that person or not. <laughs> like insane. But I digress. Um, and so I went into this audition for all my children and I had a, the other character had a monologue and I remember they were reading the monologue and I was just bored. I thought this was stupid. I was like, this is dumb. And like in my head, I'm like over it. So I lean against the wall and like look around the room. And when I booked <laughs> the job, the casting director, Judy Bly Wilson was like, well, the, the producers just loved on the tape how like, you know, how you didn't care and you were so nonchalant and like just, you know, you were just acting like this bad boy. And I was like, Oh no, I was just very bored. But (laughs) Hey, if they want, if they want to read it as that, go for it. I'll take it. That's So I booked all my children and that was my first gig. And that was the fun times you were, you were around for that, Nikki. Like that was the, uh, that was the Josh Dumal, Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelo, Susan Lucci, Rebecca Budig, like that yeah, there was, was, there was a was little talent time. in the house. Yes. Yeah, there was, there was a, there was a, that was a fun cast to be involved in. Yeah. And then that, when you did that, cause I think I was in LA, you were in New York. So I yeah. don't, a little disconnect there, but I mean, was that almost a five days a week kind of gig for a yeah, couple of years? It was, it was, you know, it was your waiter job. And I think, I think that was the best thing you could ever do instead of paying to go to college to learn how to act. I literally got all my children and was paid to learn how to act. And like, like when you have, are just thrown in and just have to do it, you learn real quick what works and doesn't work. And I think that's the best education anyone can have, you know, like just doing it, you will learn more than by like sitting in a room learning about how to do it. You'll just, just go and do it and you'll figure it out. And that's what I did. So it was five days a week and the schedule was grueling but at the same time, you were working actor on a soap and you were like, you know, what, 19, 20 years old living in New York City. I'm like, I'm young. I'm hot. And this is this is cool. Like, I'm hot. Mm-hmm. Shit. This is my, I'm on a soap. You know, like yes. you had this like it was just a fun time to have for college years. And but it's a grindy thing. And it 
Yeah, totally. I mean, for an actor to have that as it's kind of your your first foundational yeah. job, it's let's exhausting. say. I mean, it's sides, sides, sides. I mean, so yeah. I guess it really does help you memorize going down the road uh-huh. like after that experience. So, Oh, absolutely. You get you get a script. And you're like, okay, oh, here's tomorrow's show. Learn the whole show. And then you'd go in and shoot that. And then right when your brain would turn off from like what you just said for the day, they're like, here's the next script. Go learn it. It's tomorrow. Like you had no time to do anything but learn lines and sleep. That's all you did. So boot camp, total boot camp. Exactly. So, and then, um, so you did that for a couple of years. You kind of make your way to LA for your first pilot season. Um, Mm -hmm. And you, you, you got a pilot, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, no, we didn't go to LA. We were still in New York. You were still in New York, but you came to LA for pilot. I came to, yeah, I flew here. And it was my first time being in LA ever. I flew here on on a on a flight courtesy of Fox, 20th Century Fox. Like I flew here for the <laughs> Eastwick pilot audition and booked it and then flew home and went to Toronto to shoot it, right? Like it no, was you shot it in Vancouver. Vancouver, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Vancouver. Um well between both of our memories, we'll put it together somehow. <laughs> um yeah, so I flew to flew to Vancouver and shot the pilot, and that was my first like primetime show, which you saw the pilot, Nick. Eastwick, the yes. pilot, was so frigging good and so ahead of its time, and just, oh, it was such a fantastic show. It was me, Chris Evans, Riley Smith, Lori Laughlin, um, Kelly Rutherford, Jason, and Marcia Cross, and Jason well, O'Mara. Jason O'Mara, man, yeah. Oh, and Jason O'Mara played the devil. It was the best. It was probably my favorite, to this day, top three favorite projects I've ever done. It was yeah. just so cool. And it, it, they said it was too campy, right? That was the direction. It was yes. too campy. Yeah. And then Desperate Housewives comes out like three years later. And they're like, oh, really? This was too campy? <laughs> <laughs> so um, clearly that didn't get picked up. But no. hey, you, you scored, you scored a, a pilot your first yeah. season without even being in LA necessarily. So yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. So then did you, you moved LA after that? When did we convince yeah. you to kind of move can, westward? Yeah. We, and to this day, I regret giving up the apartment that you rented for me because it was so good. I, I go, I moved to LA. I said, my mom was like, Nick, find him a place. We, we signed a lease on a place sight unseen. Nick went and checked it out and said, this is where he wants to live. Went there. It was the best apartment I've ever seen. Looking back at it, it was so good. Um, but we moved to LA like that next year and started doing um, auditions here, hitting the grind. And this is back in the day when you would get auditions faxed to you or <laughs> yep. mailed to you. Yep. Like, or emailed to you and printed, and they would send it to you. And then the audition notes of like how to get there would have the Thomas guide like <laughs> coordinates and you would have to look in this giant map that you leave in the back of your Ford escape at a yellow Ford escape. And I would leave, you have the Thomas guide in there and you have to like, the audition would say, go to page 27 of the Thomas guide, a 17. And you'd look there and then you'd have to figure out how to drive across this massive city after just being here like a week and go to these auditions and then show up and be good. And I remember I used to get, I got mad at you so much on the phone because the first time I was looking for an audition, I called you and I couldn't find it. And I was like, Nick, is it North or South? 101 North or 101 South? And I was going to Burbank, but 101 North and South and 101 East and West is pretty much the same thing. (laughs) But if you don't know, you're like, it's East. And I'm like, or you're like, it's North. I'm like, there's not a choice for North. It's West or East. And you're like, what? And I'm like, it's West or East. And I got on the wrong wrong freeway and started driving the wrong way because it like switched over and I couldn't understand the 101 at first. So I I wasn't really mad at you. I was just like, which one is it? You're like North. There is no North. Yeah, unfortunately, North really becomes West through the valley. Yes! So, <laughs> so, so you, so you, um, you come there, you start doing your auditioning, you book, you know, TV guest appearances, right to start, mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. Did a couple um, guest stars. Um, and then you, I mean, when did how did the when did Mean Girls, Girls fall into that? How long were you out there? Wait, I can tell you. I can tell you the date. I have it in my email right here. I can sh- I can pull up the email. Listen to uh, that. Yeah, look at this. Hold on. 
Uh, look at this. I mean, we can go back here. It is... 2003 or four? Yeah, No, 2003, yeah. Yeah. 2003, um, I went on an audition for Mean Girls and that you sent me on. And it was... It was an audition with Marnie Spears, the like assistant casting director. And I walked in and I auditioned for it. And I remember her going, hold on one second. And going and getting Marcy, and she was so fantastic and sweet. And going and getting Marcy Lear off the casting director. I was like, you're going to do this again. And I do it again for Marcy Lear off. And then they said, okay, you're going to have a callback. And I come back in and do it for like Mark Waters and... Some other people, I forget who, I know the director was there. And after doing that, um, the screen test happened, right? And the screen test you took me to, it was in Culver City, right? I thought. It was at the theater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was at the theater in Culver City. Yeah, yeah. There was a theater in Culver City that you drove me to because I was so nervous. And, well, first of all, you were like, you need to go watch Freaky Friday because this girl that you're going to be doing this movie with, if you get it, is named Lindsay Lohan. I said, who's that? No idea. Right. And I had to go watch Freaky Friday at the El Capitan Theater, which was a really cool like Hollywood moment. You're at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood watching a movie of the co-star you're possibly going to have soon. Like That's a cool moment. So, um, so I go on a, I audition or I, we go to the screen test and the screen test was in this theater that you had to like walk up these stairs and you drove me and you dropped me off and waited for me to come out. And it was a whole debate. Like what color shirt was I going to wear? And we had like, I had to go get a haircut. I remember I go to that guy, Tyler who cut hair for us. Yeah. He yes. was like the haircutter <laughs> and Tyler gave me this haircut. That was like the Justin Bieber before the Justin Bieber. He was like, you're going to do this. You're going to, you're going to keep it shaggy. It's going to look so good. It was very 2003. And <laughs> he gives me this haircut and we like figure out what color I'm going to wear. It's going to be this maroon, maroonish color. It looks really good on camera on me. And we go in for the screen test and I, Lindsay's there. And I remember I make her blush on camera. Like we're having the audition and I literally make her turn red and Mark Waters saw it. And he's just was like, yep, there it is. That's the, that's the actor. And then I go back to my job at Abercrombie and Fitch holding sweaters <laughs> and, and this was such a crazy moment. And then you call, they called you and they're like, yeah, he didn't get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, it was weird. It wasn't almost yeah. like you did. It wasn't like you all, you didn't get it. It was like Sherry Lansing yes. who ran Paramount studios. Yep. Thought that there should be a blonde actor opposite Lindsay, not a dark haired actor. Right. And so then it turned into this whole thing because everyone around from, you know, Mark Waters, Marcy Learoff, you know, Lauren really Michaels. Want, yeah. Yeah. Really wanted you. And I called Lauren's office. And so we got in this whole thing and it was like, we're really being held up because she wants a blonde. And so right. that's kind of what happened. So in a weird way, you never didn't not have it, but it went sideways in a weird way. Yeah, this so. weird thing happened. It was kind of like, you're not going to get it. Don't get your hopes up. And I remember just kind of being like, okay. And then I was coming home from working at Abercrombie and & Fitch, and you called and left a voicemail while I was working. And I was like, you're like, call me back. I was like, okay. And I call you back, and you're like, you got it. You got the part. And I remember being like, I don't understand, like confused that like, wait, we already said I wasn't getting it. And they're like, no, you got it. And you're getting on a plane tomorrow to like to Toronto. You're, you're leaving. And it was, <laughs> I had like one day to prepare. And I remember calling my best friend, Sam Page and Sam just Page. screaming into the phone. I'm like, Rah! and I'm like screaming out in that courtyard of my old apartment and everyone's yep. coming out. And I was like, I booked that movie. And I just like, who knew that that moment right there, and that's the thing, like that one moment right there when, when you, you book Mean Girls and you do it, your whole life changes. Your whole life changes. I don't know what my life would look like without Aaron Samuels in it. I don't. Right. It'd, be, it'd be a different life. It'd be weird. Well, and I mean, and you know, look, you can get on the set and kind of get a sense of how things are, and I find it more difficult in film to kind of know, hey, 
something good's happening here. And this is going to be a cultural moment. Um, right. You kind of can't, I don't know. I don't get that from film as much as I did when I was in a recording studio, um, when you really knew kind of what was going down. So, right. Um, but ultimately, I mean, you're doing the great work you're surrounded. Look, you're surrounded by amazing coworkers. Um, right. so you got to think something good's going to come, but then it just becomes this cultural zygus. That's crazy. You can't yeah. expect that to that degree. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I it just something happens, and it just it it changed your life. Like you know, we 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 knew it was going to be good when we were filming it, but it wasn't until we saw it the first time in that little theater at Paramount when we were like, "Wow, wow, 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 wow! This is going to be great." Like once you see it for the first time, you're like, you it. it it hits you. You go, oh man, this is special. Yep, it was. What do you even know? Like, because I've, you know, I don't pay attention to things too much anymore these days. But like, what did that ultimately end up grossing? Like, as of today, do you know how much um, money? Yeah, I can. Uh, I can look this up right here. Oh, you don't mean, have to look it up. Yeah, let's let's do it. Mean Girls gross. Um, it's made over one hundred thirty million dollars. Yeah, that's not bad. No. That ain't jump change. Um, so that comes out. You have to do a ton of promotion around that, right? Yep. Once it does come out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's an interesting film in a way because, yeah, your your character's, you know, cemented um, in some ways culturally. Um, but as a guy, the lead guy in that film, you know, you didn't, career-wise, you didn't win as much as the girls in the film did, right? I mean... right. It was really kind of more a, a, a female character development movie in a way, you know, right. between McAdams and Amanda. Um, it just launched a lot of great female actors. And I kind of feel like the, the, you know, that may have kind of overrun the male lead a little bit. Um, it's a numbers yeah. game, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did um, for sure. Um it's hard to be it, it you're like the object of affection in you're the object of affection in a movie that's focused on you but it's about the girls so it's a weird it's a weird mm. thing to be involved in you know it's a weird uh definitely i don't know it's, it was a it was a weird character to play it was also just weird because you know like tina i, I ran into tina Fey. uh two uh, two years ago on october 3rd at the broadway show Mm. and he go and she goes well at least everyone loves you right (laughs) i said (laughs) yeah she goes she goes i mean at least it was written for that like she goes they could be calling you a fugly slut or something and i go no you 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 wrote it well for that she you know we talked about it like it's impossible to watch the movie and not like aaron samuel like right. it's a subconscious thing that happens when someone's watching the film. Like they automatically just like you because of the way Tina Fey wrote it and the way everyone's has the object of affection for you and everyone has a desire for you. You know, they kind of plug it in subconsciously for the audience that you're just going to like Aaron Samuels and you're going to want to, you know, be his boyfriend. <laughs> that's, that's like how it works. And that's how it worked for sure. Yeah. So, so you come off of, you know, that doing very well, kind of move on to Cheaper by the Dozen 2, right? With Oh, yeah. That crazy cast. Now that was in Toronto. Yeah, so that was so that was a fun moment. Remember, I wa- we auditioned for that on... I remember where all the auditions are that I booked. I don't remember the ones I didn't book, but I remember <laughs> the ones I booked, it was on um, Forest Lawn Drive, and I had to go meet Adam Shankman and booked that. And I remember reading for it and adam goes he's funny he's crazy but he's funny i like him and i got to go to canada and work with steve martin eugene levy carmen electra jamie uh king tom welling hillary duff uh bonnie hunt just the craziest cast the the young tyler lautner right yeah taylor lautner Lautner Lautner, shark boy (laughs) who had just been shark boy and then and then um and then robbie amell who's now a huge star 
was yeah. in it as well. And that's where I became friends with him and we became best friends. He's a fantastic guy, which if you don't know Robbie Mel, go check him out. He, him and his wife and his kid are perfect. And if you just want to like <laughs> look at like what American royalty looks like, there it yeah. is. That's um, fantastic. And yeah, you know, that's, and I remember I have a, a picture saved. It's a, it's a, um, it's a printed out photo of my cast chair next to Steve Martin's cast chair. And I remember walking on set for the first time and seeing that. And the, I mean, I was a Steve Martin fan, like you would not believe. I have seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles more than a thousand times, I think. He was my number one favorite actor. And I got to work with him and be in scenes with him and work with that legend. And it just, watching him work made me a better actor. And there's a scene at the end of the film when I come out and get to say, Hey, Tom, do you want to meet your grandson? And I still, to this day, was my favorite moment on screen. Just that one line, because the emotion just came out because I was saying it to Steve Martin. And there was so much just, I don't know what, just joy and pent up excitement that I got to do it. And I just, my character had just had a baby. So it just all kind of connected and clicked. And I remember after it, Adam Shankman comes up to me and goes, that was good. And I, and I, I just one of my favorite moments. Yeah. I bet there were many. So with the, with, yeah. with that yeah. crew all in one uh -huh. place. So, yeah. um, so you come back to Los Angeles after doing that. I mean, you kind of still do the, the audition cycle. Um, yeah. you know, you kind of were seen as a, you know, leading man material mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and funny. Uh, yeah. Well, I try to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so you did a bunch of smaller films during that, like after that, I mean, not yeah, as many. Yeah. I Go mean, ahead. you know, it's a weird, there wasn't a lot of studio studio films. We got, we did do, um, I did, what did I do? Dukes of Hazard, the beginning, which was super fun. I, you know, did Ben Wilder. So it's really, you know, I always made the joke, like if they, they can't afford the box office drawing leading man name, get Bennett, he'll, he'll step in and be just as funny and handsome but you can pay him a half the price. Um, but that was my joke. But the, the, uh, the, 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 I got to shoot Dukes of Hazard the beginning, which was super fun. I mean, what, whose dream is in it as a little boy? Hey, do you want to, you know, drive the car and slide across the hood and wear the boots and, and work with Willie Nelson and just get to be one of the Duke boys, like such a part of pop culture, um, you know, phenomena really. Um, we and you know with doing van wilder freshman year that was with ryan reynolds i replaced him like I, what i've always had is this really interesting thing in my career where the movies i did for a long time like all through my 20s all had some sort of pop culture relevance and nostalgia to them you know there was always like something that was bigger i always was playing a character that was bigger than myself if that makes sense even from aaron samuels like you're this character that's bigger than life it's bigger than you it's the idea of everyone's perfect jock person they were in love with in high school it's like that idea is bigger than me playing Bo duke that's bigger than me playing ven wilder that's bigger than me like all these characters themselves just had this pop culture presence that was just kind of really special and, and weird and bizarre and cool and bad. Like it was, it was, it's so many, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a weird career, but it is a really cool career. Like it's such a bizarre thing to be Jonathan Bennett. Like you're, you're part of all these things. You got to do all these crazy characters and do all these things that people would dream of doing. You know, it's just a, really fun thing we did that movie with amanda Bynes. remember we did love wrecked down Lovebrecht. in the dominican republic yep. um shot that with amanda Bynes. like you know your co-stars are crazy cool and popular pop culture phenomenon so kind of put me in that world which was which was neat right but did you ever feel like look pre this is all pre me too right so um you know and i always kind of think you and i talked about this between us pre, yeah yeah it's you know i thought that you know this people presuming your sexuality. Um, oh yeah. Say, I mean, you know, really, I think in a way, you know, messed with your career a little bit. Um, because Hollywood was still, 
you know, kind of like a bunch of assholes about that yeah. um, back then. And that wasn't that long ago, but they were. No, it wasn't. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it was serious, Nick. It was a huge thing. And, you know, it's like, you know, you, a lot of other people that are all on the team, everyone did what they thought, which is best. You know, we all thought like they're going to presume sexualities and now we have to address it or we don't. So let's not, because you have to make the decision, right? Like I always say that there's a, group of actors that get no credit for the decisions they had to make because this is pre glee. I always say pre it's, you know, PG pre glee before, you know, it was cool to be gay. <laughs> like it, it, it wasn't, it was a different time. And, and everyone that you would talk to, not just on the, the team, but just people in general, if you walk up to any person that worked in the Hollywood industry and said, Hey, this is a leading man that, you know, has success. Should he come out publicly and be gay? 100%, right. 99.9999999% of people would say, absolutely not. Right. <laughs> absolutely not. You're crazy. That's suicide. Don't do it. And, you know, so we lived in this weird world where I knew who I was and poor, and, and you, and poor you, and poor you know, nah, other people, no, not poor. I don't want to say no poor, but like poor. What's everyone, no, no, not poor, but everyone, you know, my team, everyone knows, but you have to just live this life where you're like, I don't know if I can like be myself around certain people. So then it's really hard on you mentally. Cause you're just in this state of like, just, well, I, don't, I don't want to defend crazy. it. You know what I yeah. mean? I think talent's talent. And I hated defending people's sexuality. Cause it's like, really talent's talent. Right. So, and that's so the, that's what yeah. used to wear you down. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I'm I'm not gonna defend someone's sexuality. This is ridiculous. So right. Yeah, and, and then you always had such a good head about it. You're like it, it was, you know, you were so annoyed with it that, you know, that in a good way, just the fact that I can't believe I'm I can't believe this is the conversation. The the conversation we're having is this. The conversation is not um wow, his line, you know, the way he delivered that scene was so good. <laughs> you know, that, right. that didn't lead the conversation, which it was. And, you know, so it was, it's just a tricky time. It's and just it was, a it company was just, town too. It's a small, yeah, stupid little town, small, ultimately. Town. They all talk and, and I can't believe it was a, you know, something I had to go through. But, you know, it, it definitely weared on me as an actor. It weared on me as a human because, you know, I always, and like, let, let's just, let me just tell you the, I'll tell you the therapeutic uh, results that I've been able to share from going through so much therapy in my life, because there was a time when, you know, I, I had to go to ther therapy a lot, not, not just because my parents passed away. Like when that all happened, I went through a lot of therapy to kind of just like unclutter my brain of like what I've had to deal with. Um, and what I came up with that was really interesting, a way to kind of a metaphor for how I was feeling it's like during that Mean Girls time and, you know, that my early 20s when I was doing all these sh movies and up for all these huge parts, it was almost like you felt like a knight who was walking in to, you know, a kingdom. And you were the shiny knight that was Aaron freaking Samuels that everyone loves. You're like the shiny knight. Everyone loves you. And they're throwing roses at your feet. And they're, they're playing trumpets and they're praising you. And they're like, okay you're amazing. This is awesome. And you're like, yes. And they're like, but we're just going to take away your sword. Okay. We're just going to take that away. But everything else, you know, what I mean? Keep <laughs> going. It's great. we love you. But like the thing that makes you strong and makes you, you, which is like who you are, we're going to take that part away. Okay. But you do everything else. Everything else is great. We love you. Love you. You're great. You know? So it was this right. weird thing where you had this like just screwed up notion of like value and like who you were. Cause I knew I was a good actor and I right. knew I do a good job and I knew people like me, but at the same time, you're afraid that if they find out everything about me, that all the hard work I've done for a decade and all the hard, you know, hours and hours and emotions I put into my work and creating the, my life to live my dream to its fullest, we're going to take up, they're going to take all that away. Right. Right. So you had this like thing where you're like, I know you like me and I, and I, and I, and I know, but the same time you don't really like all of me and if you find out all of me all this goes away so it, i mean that screws their head well, a it's a compartmentization that you're doing you're compartmentalizing right. you know and being an actor anyway i think a lot of your roles exactly. you're comp everything's in compartments right so this right. roles this part of me 
So an actor's job is kind of weird that way, because ultimately it is about all these different compartments of who you are as you play characters. Um, uh-huh, uh, absolutely. But anyway, it's weird. So the thing I'm most excited about, though, I want to know, how did you get connected with Food Network? I'm so excited about Food okay, Network. Okay, let's say you love Food Network. Okay, so let's can talk I about go that. to Food Network? <laughs> yes, absolutely, you can. Um, and it's, it's it, it, I always say it's a letdown. It's not, it doesn't smell and look how you want it to. You think it's going to smell like these aromas? Usually it smells like some type of cleaning product because they're switching over the shows. <laughs> And like a burnt piece of, and a like burnt caramel because someone left the stove on. Oh. Um, but it is, it, you know, okay. So I was on Dancing with the Stars. So, you know, mom passes away, dad passes away yep. and go through a really dark time. And then what was so fun, Nick, I was watching Dancing with the Stars with my dad when he was on his last, like last month of life. And we were watching it and he would only turn it on because Danica McKellar, who played Winnie Cooper, who was in a Hallmark movie with me was good friends with him. They became really close and he would watch TV because he wants to see her dance. And he would keep pointing at me. couldn't speak really well. We would point at me and then point at the TV. And he's like, John, you got to do that. Cut to, he passes away. And the next season they're doing dancing with the stars. They call me and go, do you want to be on the show? And I literally just started crying. I was like, well, that's on a God wink right there. Like that's (laughs) some doors being pulled. So I go on Dancing with the Stars, and it's you know. How did you do that. on that, by the way? Because I've never seen horrible. it. I, I'm not. I'm not. Horrible. A, I'm not. A, oh, you, did, you did horrible. Oh my! Not horrible. I did fine. Let's just say this, Nick. What I learned from Dancing with the Stars is I'm not a dancer, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. That's what I learned. I was like, well, what better mm, place to learn that than national television? So. Yeah. What What better place to learn it than 25 million? people watching live. Uh-huh. So I do that. Like, let's put it this way, Nick, Tommy Chong, who is like 75 <laughs> years old and stoned made it farther than I did. Like Tommy beat me. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a nut, um, nuts thing. So anyway, I do the show. And then what I learned is that while I'm there, I wasn't really concerned about the dancing. I was watching the best of the best of the best Tom Bergeron. That's who I was interested uh. in. I was like, I was like, I want to do what he's doing. And I called and got an agent and started going on hosting auditions. I'm like, I want to host shows. And as soon as I walked into Food Network and said, hey, I want to do this. They, I, I did the audition. You know, I, I did the line. So they're like, yep, there he is. You're the cake guy. And so it just clicked instantly. And it was so much fun because there, for, for 15 years, I had to kind of take some of Jonathan and put him in different boxes and not really be your full self, kind of be the cool guy version of Jonathan instead of the like over the top nuts Labrador retriever version of Jonathan that, you know, feels good to Jonathan to be Jonathan. So I, you know, for the first time ever, I got to go on a set and just be me. Like, the, you know, the, I said, how should I do this? And, they, and the producer looked at me and she goes, we hired you to be you, go be you. And that was almost therapy. It was almost like mm. a really neat thing where I'm like, I can be as zany and wild and wacky as I want. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. I said, okay, great. Um, so, so is that like an annual season. contract you have like to do? Like, I mean, how, how yeah, does that work I mean, with them? <laughs> oh, I've, I've hosted 170 some episodes. Wow. It's been insane. It's insane how many episodes I've hosted. Um, and, you know, my time of there probably will be not forever because, you know, it's time to always do other things. But for, you know, 170 episodes, I made so many kids happy and so many people happy watching at home, laughing at the stupid jokes I'd make. And it was a really fun experience to do. And then, you know, how much weight do you gain? Um, So I go from a size 32 waist to a size 36 by the end of the season. And I'm not joking. Are you serious? We have three pairs of the same jeans. Like we have three pairs and I change, I gain weight through the season because all those cakes are there and they're made by the best cake makers in the world. And at first I was nervous about like watching my weight and I said, screw that. Like how many times of a special life moment do you get to be the person that eats the best cake, which is delicious from the best cake makers in the world in one day? Like I'm like, you know, I just I said, screw it. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm aware I'm going to gain weight and we're going to lose it before the next season. And it's going to be fine. And, that's you know, I just went for it because who, when else do you get that opportunity? You know, screw it. No, that's awesome. I yeah. love that. So, so everything like is basically shut down in Hollywood right now, right? Yeah. People aren't doing mm-hmm. stuff, but you guys kind of 
managed to film a movie in this? Is yeah. that what I'm understanding? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, we, we definitely, so I filmed the first ever um, SAG film since COVID started. It's called Harvest of the Heart. And we shot it in Oklahoma about a month and a half ago. And it was a completely weird yet doable experience. You know, you can show up and have actors quarantine and have them ever the crew wear a mask and have the actor show up and like be safe, get really good shots, have have a good movie, and everyone can go home. I mean, we're, it was weird at first. Is it a soundstage though, or is it outdoors? No, uh, we did it outside in like a vineyard. Yeah. So there was like plenty of space, right? There was like, you, you know, one had to be on top of each other and, you know, fresh air blowing. And it was, it was really good, but you know, it was weird at first. Cause when you walk in, you expect that you're going to walk up, you know how it is. And then given on a million sets, like you walk into hair and makeup and you're going to give your hair and makeup girls a big hug. And you're going to, you know, you're going to see all your friends and then, you know, that just didn't happen. But once you got past that weirdness of, Oh, I'm not being rude. We're just not allowed to do this. Once everyone kind of settled into that, it became business as usual. And I mean, I think it was really great proof we did it safely. Movies can be shot. I know they're shooting other movies. Movies can be shot and it can be done well. And, you know, it can it, it can be done. It's just you got to put in the precautions. But it, it's good. And one other thing I want to talk about hosting. The coolest moment ever, Nick, I have to tell you, because I host New Year's Eve Times Square, right? So ah. I... I after hosting Food Network, when my first gig I was ever on television was TRL. I was a VJ for the day. And I was up at, it was at 1515 Broadway in New York City in Times Square. And I did that VJ for a day performance where I went out and like did a thing and hosted like my first teleprompter read live on TV to be back there 15 years later outside in the middle of Times Square on a podium standing outside of that window and having them go three, two, one, you're live, and getting to say the words "Happy New Year, Times Square," and it echoing across to two million people mm -hmm. live in the square. That was a full circle career pinch me moment. Like that was crazy. You're a better man than me. That would uh, <laughs> that would be like my worst nightmare. It so, would. It would. I'm glad it worked out for you, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so so you've got when's this film? When's Harvest of the Heart? I mean, how are they releasing and, it or when? I don't, you know? I don't know who's bought it yet. So it, it, uh, okay. It's got a distributor. They're buying it. But it'll be, you know, this fall because Harvest. So it'll be on one of the TV stations this fall. So, you know, check it out. You can just go on IMDb and it'll tell you where when it'll release. Awesome. Very nice. Yes. Uh, um, so before we leave, because I do a lot of, you know, music on this lovely show. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to ask you, did you just do some of the Ariana Grande? Did you do like video? Or no? Yeah. Also, I have the weirdest life in the world. Remember, like, tell me, weirdest, tell me, the weirdest pop culture life. So, I get a message from Ariana Grande's manager on Instagram, and it was Thanksgiving, and he goes, "Hey, we want Ariana wants you to be in her music video. You know, do you want to do you want to do this?" And I said, first of all, this is a joke, and call to call my call my agent if you want this. You know, if you want to talk about this. And so then my agent calls and said, hey, so Ariana Grande's manager wants to be in their video. And I said, don't they want, don't they want someone that's young with abs and like pecs, you know, that's going to look good. Like, I don't want to be in the video. And they said, no, they're recreating Mean Girls and they want you to play Aaron Samuels. <laughs> uh, I, I, I go, oh, that makes sense. So I walk outside to my friends who are eating Thanksgiving dinner and I go, do I want to be in Ariana Grande's music video? And they all drop their forks and they go, yes. I go, yes, I do. So I got to go and shoot her video and literally put on Aaron Samuels' clothes again and get the, the hair done the same. It was like, it was like seeing an old friend, you know, you walk probably out, look the same. Yeah, I did. It was weird. <laughs> I looked in the mirror and I was like, wow, I look the same. And you know, it was really cool. Ariana Grande, Nick. She's the best. She's mm. the best, the best, the best. I have a cookbook out and it's a Mean Girls uh, parody cookbook. And I said to her like jokingly before, she was first of all so excited to meet me. So like, I, I was so excited to meet her. Like We were both just fangirling over each other. And I said, oh, I have this book. I should carry this book in the shot. And right before we did the shot, she goes, go get it. And held up production 
So I could run and get my book out of my car and then come back to set. And I walked down the hall in the movie with my book. She goes, let's sell that shit. And that like, she like, just the, <laughs> to think that's like to have an artist go and do that, that just speaks volumes, like making sure you shine as well. She was so nice to all the, you know, background performers and like would go up to them and talk and just be like, what, Oh, what kind of, where'd you get your dress? I love this. Or, Oh my gosh, I love your makeup today. It looks really good. Like just a freaking star. Like that. She was just a star. I love hearing that. What's mm-hmm. the name of your, this cookbook of yours? What is this? Uh, it's called, it's called the burn cookbook. Okay. Um, in mean girls, we have the burn book. This is the yeah. burn cookbook. Yeah, Tina so, hasn't sued you yet for any reason. <laughs> um, well, kind of <laughs> not Tina, but, uh, you know, at first they, uh, the evil say, corporation, this, I mean, the, evil corpor- the, the, cor- the, the studio got a little, uh, sassy with us when we first started making it. But then once they saw it, they're like, Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're not in court. So. Yes. Yes. Me too. Well, well, dude, thank you so much. I mean, I could go on because there's I know, much more I'd hours. like to say, but I do I have a little stop here going on. But I appreciate you doing this. I love you uh, dearly. Me and um, I'm glad you're safely somewhere. I'm glad you're in a relationship. I wanted to talk about that. We didn't go there. but um, well, well, next time. We'll do time. another one. Yeah, we will. So, But I'm really grateful for your time. All right. All thank right. you, Nikki. Enjoy I'm so happy. Enjoy your quarantine. You too, bud. Talk to you <laughs> okay. soon. Bye. Well, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little something. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. Theradicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. Also, I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week. Bye.